My name is Lisa Moore, and this is State of the Arts. State of the Arts at Memorial Humanities and Social Sciences. Analysis whip smart and professorial smart. People talk about what they know best. Listen to Lisa as she brings them all together, and we try to figure out how to live together better with fat stacks of research. Found to impress, so let's talk about the faculty of HSS. Welcome to State of the Arts, a podcast exploring the humanities and social sciences, broadcasting from Memorial University in St. John's, Newfoundland. I'm Lisa Moore, and I'm a writer, visual artist, and an associate professor in Memorial's English department. I talk to faculty members about the critical role of their work in understanding our changing world and the practices of living together well. Welcome to the 10th broadcast of State of the Arts. I'm Lisa Moore. This show explores the humanities and social sciences at Memorial. We chat with a variety of faculty members about their work and lives and how the issues addressed in their teaching and writing are critical to our understanding of the changing world. Today, I am very pleased to introduce our two guests, Nancy Don and Timothy Steves, also known as duo concertante. Critics have said their playing is full of grace and fire, fury and repose, a triumphant mass of nonstop energy, um, just simply splendid, and a miracle of knowledge and poetry. And now we're going to hear why the critics have said that. Nancy and Tim will now perform a piece for us by Johann Sebastian Bach. Thank you. 
amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is a, that was a total thrill. Oh, I mean, it's so exciting to, to have had that happen and to be, um, to have it live. It's really fantastic. Thanks. Um, so I'm going to start, uh, there's a million trillion questions I could ask you guys, but I'll start by asking you how you came together as Duo Concertante and well, how you came together. <laughs> because you're partners. That's right, yeah. We're par partners in music and in life and as parents too. Um, <clears throat> I was actually on Tim's search committee when he applied for the position, a piano position long ago in 1996. Here at Memorial. Here at Memorial, yeah. So I first heard his magical playing when he did his audition recital and I was really moved at that point. And then once he got the job, I asked him, would he be interested in doing no, a recital together? You actually phoned me when I got back to Germany and, our, and asked me. So okay. I knew before even I moved here that we were going to be playing together. Beautiful. And so, <laughs> like, how does that work in your house? I, I can imagine a house that's just full of music all the time. Is that... It, Am I right? <laughs> yeah, there's lots of music going on at the same time. So Tim's down in the nice music room that's soundproofed. And I'm up in our bedroom <laughs> where there is a nice mirror I can use to practice with. And, and we're practicing, you know, doing our separate things and trying not to interfere with each other too much. But then, yeah, we rehearse there, too. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of music for sure. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit about, uh, about Johann Sebastian Bach. So... Um, you know, Nancy, I've, I've heard you say that when you're practicing um, something fast, you, you have to get the music in your fingers. And what does that mean? It means a lot of things. I mean, yeah, you, there's, a, there's a certain amount of sort of repetition of, of a complex mo motor motion that you have to do for it to feel somewhat natural and fluid. Um, and in the case of Bach, I mean... He was just a genius on so many levels and wrote music that has really complex kind of combinations of finger spacings. I don't know how else to say it, but you actually learn so much just by playing his music. Your technique advances in, in, in addition to him just being so incredibly wonderful and profound. But, you know, it's kind of neat all these years later that you feel like you're learning from someone 400 years, you know, and, and that he's teaching you and talking to you through his music about yeah, he, how to play the violin. And he was it's the a, same thing. No, he was a great teacher. I mean, I think we think of Bach as being a, a great composer and, and a player, but he was a phenomenal teacher. In fact, in the area of Germany, I don't know if he taught violin too much, but he was certainly a keyboard um, pedagogue. And in the area of Germany where he lived, in Thuringia, around Erfurt, so at the height of his career, 70% of all the organists working in that area were students of his. Like he had a profound impact that way. And a lot of, his, a lot of the pieces that he wrote were, were really teaching pieces. He wrote them to pass on his technique. And, so and, when uh, you're playing, do you feel the same thing, that it's in your fingers? Or, and does that mean that you're sort of like overleaping thought and, and, and well, it's that's, becoming that's, that's, physical? That's, oh, yeah. that's the issue. I, when you play, you know, you, you can work, um, you can be really aware of, of you know, moving your, your I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that there's so much when you play you're not aware of, like there's so much muscle control that you really are not aware of that's just happening uh, inside of you. It can be in very strange places, like in your abdomen or your back, and you're just not, that's impossible to, mm. to practice. 
And so it's funny when, you know, that Bach we've been playing for, I don't know, 10 years or something like this. And so you, you, you practice it and you perform it a, a couple times and then you put it to rest and then you come back to play it maybe a couple months later and sure, you can move your fingers and it sounds right, it just doesn't feel the same way. And it takes time for all of this other stuff to kick in, you know, all of the support mechanisms that you need when you perform. Yeah, and when you perform, there's always something from coming at you from left field that you never anticipated, you know, a thought that might sort of <laughs> derail you for a moment or yeah. all these things that are super easy when you're in your practice room or, you know, just rehearsing. There's, you know, suddenly there's just strange things that can happen yeah. to you when you perform. Yes, yeah, so, so, I mean, all of that sounds very complicated <laughs> yeah. and way the heck out of control yeah. in your fingers. Yeah. But, and, and this is a kind of intimate question, I guess, but are you able to listen to each other while you're playing? Like, how does that oh, yeah. work? Oh, oh of yeah. course. Yeah. I mean, that's like the saving grace in a lot of ways when you're performing is that, that you're, cre that you're having, having a spontaneous dialogue right there and so you have to kind of just engage in the moment so yeah listening is like a lifeline I mean it, it is wonderful to be listening to but it actually saves you in a lot of cases and if you're overly conscious self-conscious or nervous or whatever yeah but for sure yeah I mean that's our job is to be listening musicians there's no other thing I mean you can't be a musician without being listen listening all the time your humongous ears <laughs> So um, let me ask you about um, how you both came to be musicians. Like, I know, Nancy, you've written very movingly about your mom. Mm -hmm. um, how was she an influence for you? Well, she loved music. She loved particularly classical music. And there was music playing in our home all the time. We always had CBC radio going. Um, she, when I was two, a friend was going to throw out a violin and she said, no, I, I want that violin. My daughter might play it. That's kind of an embarrassing thing to think that your mother had so much, you know, control over your destiny. But um, yeah, and so uh, I was, I grew up in a kind of a rural, well, very much a rural part of Nova Scotia. And there was very little music in the schools. And she started me on some lessons and um, I took a group class, finally having private lessons in Halifax, so she would have to drive me, you know, for hours to, to get to a good teacher and all of that. So, you know, she really believed in in the power of music, and and I loved music. I mean, I don't know if I was, would have been a violinist, per se, if it hadn't been for her, but I certainly would have been a musician of some sort, because music just... Um, lights lights my inside up and it always has from a kid. So. Well you wrote that in your mother's ideal day she would play the cello for two hours. Yeah. So it was really it was really there in your life in a, in a big way. Oh yeah absolutely yeah. yeah she she got an enormous amount of pleasure out of music just as an amateur and and yeah as a listener of music for sure yeah. And what about you Tim? Um, yeah I started really I started really early <clears throat> um, I think I used I used to go with my sister when she had piano lessons. That's how I sort of was introduced to piano. I was really young. I was only about three or so. And then I remember at the end of my sister's lessons, the teacher would spend some time with me. And it sort of went from there. And it was always a big part of my life. Um, but I, I never really, I wasn't really sure. Even after I graduated from high school, I wasn't really sure I was going to go into music. And I spent a year overseas in Germany. Um, before I before I started my degree at Western, and I think that's when it kind of gelled for me. 
And what was it about Germany that did that? Um, they heard me play and uh, they made arrangements for me to audition as a guest student in one of the big academies there in Cologne. And I found that really fantastic. And so, just the, just the um, I don't know, just being in the space where, where this music was created had a profound effect. Um, like visiting composers' homes and, it, and um, it just somehow made it more personal. I think for me, like the music, like classical music as a kid was very personal somehow. I really related to it and, this, and, and, and being in Germany for that one year made it really, really you know, made it sink in and that's what I wanted to do. I'm not sure that everybody uh, comes to classical <laughs> music that way as a personal yeah. thing. So how was it personal or why? I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. I loved reading about composers' lives. Um, in fact, it, one of the things on my list, like I never thought that I'd actually be a performer. If I, if I, if, if you would have asked me when I was in high school what I wanted to do, I might have said I wanted to be a composer, but never a performer. Um, but that's a good question. I don't know why that was. But it just, yeah. it was like speaking to yeah. you clearly. Yeah, you know, it really did. Yeah. And even today when I go, let's say when, I'm, when we're in Germany and, I, and we're in Bonn, you know, which was birth, Beethoven's birthplace. We had that experience with our kids, actually. It was really cool. We were one of our early tours of Europe. We had our kids with us, and we used to listen to Beethoven Lives Upstairs all the time. And we had it going in the car, and we were just around Cologne, and we were listening to this, and the kids loved it, like our daughter especially just loved that. And so I drove. We drove right to Bonn, and, and um, while the city was going, and we got out, and we went right up into Beethoven's birth house. I think it was a really, um, well, it was a kind of special moment for me <laughs> um, to be able to show my kids this. And I think it was a special moment for our daughter, too. I'm you know? sure. You know, to make it so real all of a sudden. Yeah, know? the actual physical yeah. presence. Yeah. What about, um, I wanted to ask you both about the idea of practicing, like practice. What does that mean? And does it have, you know, does it ha have spiritual connotations? Is it metaphorical? Is it like, does it permeate in all, to all aspects of your life? Mm. Or is it just plain, <laughs> get in there and do the work until it's perfect? Oh, it's, yeah, it's definitely a time for me to, it's almost meditative, I guess. I mean, my day doesn't feel right unless I've played, practiced, or just played the violin, or just sort of discovered things through the violin, played music. But it's also, I mean, yeah, it's, it's such a complete experience in terms of physical and spiritual and emotional. Um, being aware of how your body's moving, being aware of what feelings you're channeling. And it, I mean, it's a gift to be able to to experience that every day. So my favorite time to be practicing is when there isn't, when there isn't like a concert the next day or the next week when it can just be like really unstructured and sort of discovering and yeah, for sure there's a spiritual element. And I, I mean, people make fun of me, but I, I love to practice. I mean, I, I even try to sneak away and practice on Christmas day and weird things like that because I just enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great. What about you, Tim? Yeah, I, I find myself in a position. Um, I, I don't want to. I don't want to be. But I mean, the pianist has has a lot more notes, kind of thing. And so I'm. All, I always. 
Well, that's the truth. Well, well yes, no, no, no. But, I, but my my point is that Wait, I, isn't there a joke about that in in the Beethoven movie? Yeah, too many notes. Too many notes. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Jim. No. So I, I often find myself like, oh, I got to practice to get the job done, like you were saying. You yeah. Know? So so practice can be many many different things. I, it's lovely just to be able to practice for the sake of practicing, and um, that that's a lot of fun. And especially when we're reviewing pieces that we've played a lot, and you come back to them, and you can take your time with them and make new discoveries with them. But a lot of the time, it's just learn the notes and, and get the stuff ready, because you know the performance is just down there. And that's not necessarily that much fun, and it can be actually quite stressful. Mm -hmm. um, but, but yeah, that's just the way it is. You yeah. Know? So I, I want to ask you about the difference between performing and, and practicing then, which you've sort of, you're getting to. Like what, I, I imagine, Okay, for me as a writer, when the work meets the audience, it is, well, absolutely terrifying, but also a completion. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that way or? Um, no. No. Oh. Because, well, I mean, usually a performance is one of many performances. Yeah, it could and, be the beginning. And in yeah. fact, trying to think of a performance as an, end, as an end is actually a really dangerous thought because it puts so much pressure on yeah. that performance to be perfect. So much more helpful for us is to just sort of feel like the next performance is just, you know, hoping for something even more wonderful than the last dress rehearsal maybe or, or whatever, but that, you know, it's just a blip on the radar of, of a sequence of performances and that, you know, you're just always trying to develop and, you know, become more convincing and all of yeah, that. But yeah, thinking of it as an end, yeah. as, you know, that it's finished, right. is, is actually really detrimental, I think, to performers and to nerves, like it makes. Yeah, I take it right back. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, it's no. it is totally yeah. different. And when we're on tour, like the first performance is always the scariest. And once that's done, then everything's fine. But there's just something about you do all the practice, you get ready, and you just have to get through the first time. Even if you've played the piece 20 years, still that well, not first. not just get through. No, 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 but, but like I don't through. mean get through, but, but you're there's really, more pressure on that first you're really, time. you're really worried about the first one, because you just don't know how you're gonna feel, yeah. you know, even though, you, just anything can happen and then once that's done you kind of have a sense of I guess you, you kind of have a sense like what I said before you kind of had a sense you have a sense of really how well you know it like how well you've internalized everything because there's so much you just can't control but once that first performance is done then you have a better sense and then everything is okay but isn't it that lack of control that element of uh, you know surprise that is the the thrill of yeah, doing yeah, this for sure. oh for sure and the, <laughs> and the fact that anything can happen is yeah. incredibly thrilling yeah. for both sides both the audience sides and the performer side yeah yeah for sure and and i mean yeah embracing that is pretty important it is pretty exciting yeah <laughs> so you guys have commissioned a lot of works how many works have you commissioned it's actually over 35 now yeah amazing yeah. over how many years 20 20 22, 21. Wow. Yeah. So what does that mean, commissioning a work? Uh, well, you, you, uh, you find a composer whose work you, you like, and then you have to find the funds. So you look for granting agencies, and, um, and then you ask him to uh, write you a piece. Or her. Or her, sorry. Yeah. Or her. <laughs> yeah, and so is that all? You, is that all? Write no. me a piece, or yes? No, you need to have performances lined up, and you need mm -hmm. to get funding, and, and having, having performances for the piece, so it has a life, is really, really important. Yeah. yeah. So you need to kind of have a vision for how it's going to be disseminated and all of that stuff. But um, 
you know, full disclosure, <laughs> I have worked with you guys. <laughs> and you came with an idea. So you have an idea. It's not just write me a piece, yeah. right? Like you guys have a, a concept usually. Lot, Do you all the yeah, time or lot, sometimes? Sometimes or? we sometimes. have a concept, yeah. Like sometimes we'll partner. So sometimes we're doing, let's say, a whole bunch of Beethoven, a whole bunch of Schubert, and we'll ask the composer, this is the repertoire we're doing, and we want a partner piece for that. You know, so write us something that's, I guess, inspired by this other music or something like that. But right. sometimes it's just write us a piece. Like, it's just open book. Okay. We'll take whatever, we'll take whatever uh, you're willing to give us, you know. Yeah. And then when that happens, like, how much do you bring to that piece? How does that, like, what is that alchemy? Like, what's going on between the composer and the musician? And, like, do, are there people where you've just thrown up your hands and said, oh, we can't play this? Or, or you know, I mean, I don't want you to name the people, of course. <laughs> um, or, you know, is there sometimes, like, just this where you know what they want from you and they know what, you know, what's it like? Well, ideally, there's a bit of discussion. I mean, if there are places that are really unplayable or that you don't understand or, you know, that you talk to the composer and most times they're very willing to make changes. Um, sometimes they have really great ideas, but what they've written is doesn't lie well on the instrument. And and you can offer suggestions and say this this gesture works just as well. If I do this, would it be okay if we change it? Um, and then playing it for them is really exciting the very first time and, and seeing if we're on the right track. And um, yeah, it's really exciting to be the first, per, first interpreter of a new piece. Yeah. Really, really exciting. And, and it is presumably written for you, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so those people me. have listened to you and they know, they yeah. know what you're looking for. Yeah, You've some, also, oh, sorry. No, sometimes they listen to too much of our stuff and they think we can play all this really hard stuff yeah. and they write us really, really hard, hard pieces. <laughs> <laughs> We're still waiting for a piece of just all whole just, notes. Yeah, yeah. John Cage silence. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but, and you've worked with, uh, uh, text and um, that was really fun yeah. voice yeah. yeah and so what is that like to you've got all kinds of things yeah. going on on that, stage that's really neat I mean you know one thing about instrumental music is that it's so abstract right and we feel like there's a story going on and we're totally engaged in it but you know it's often the, the audience may not feel that same degree and so having a text and having being music, having music serve the text or add layers to the text is super exciting. So that, I don't know, I mean, we've done quite a lot of those kind of projects. And yeah, it took us some time to get really um, comfortable? comfortable with it. Because the first couple of times we did it, um, it wasn't so comfortable. Because we didn't know sort of how the process was going to work. And it really is just, uh, it's, it's like a trio, the two of us with, with someone speaking. But it, you know, it's just like a piece of chamber music, and it took a lot of time for us to sort of find a way to to, to be comfortable with that. But I think we've gotten pretty good at it. Yeah. And um, <laughs> no, and it and it's something that's not done not done too often. So it's very experimental. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, you guys are huge animators in this community, and uh, I'm thinking particularly of of Takamore, but all these collaborations, uh, you know, why, first of all, why Canadian composers and what is Takamore for people who don't know and what have you done? What have you done? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll do Canadian composers. Okay, you okay. Do I'll do Takamore. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I mean, I think we feel really, really passionate about being part of the continuing life of classical music. I mean, we think about so many pieces that we love old music, and often there, in the background, there was a performer that commissioned that work or inspired that work. And so we want to play that same kind of role in terms of, you know, the legacy of piano and violin pieces. And yeah, in terms of Canadian, I mean, there's lots of wonderful Canadian composers. There's lots of other compose, wonderful composers from other countries, but getting funding for that isn't, isn't as easy as getting funding for Canadians. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why Canadians, yeah. Right. And, and tell us about Tuckamore. Well, Tuckamore is a, a two-week festival that runs in August, the second and third week of August. And we've been doing it now. We started um, in 2000. So I think the first summer it ran was 2001. So that's, that's, this is going to be our 17th, I no, think. No, 19th. 19th, yeah. Just, yeah, it's 19th. It's been <laughs> running amazing. Old, yeah, I know. It's, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, we started it. And uh, so um, it has a whole bunch of different components. The, the, the first one, I think, is that we invite, you know, guest artists from all over and they come and and uh, they perform for those two weeks and we've had some really wonderful people come and some wonderful string quartets and it's been really really exciting and um, and that's been that's been terrific but there's also a, 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 an educational component and we audition about uh, 20 22 uh, young string players and uh, pianists from all over they've come from all over and we put them into chamber groups, trios, quartets, quintets, and uh, they come for the two weeks and they get to work with us as faculty and they work with our guest artists. And uh, yeah, that, that, uh, and they get to come and experience Newfoundland, which is really exciting. And um, that's worked out tremendously. And then the third thing that it does, we have quite a, a huge outreach program, all sorts of different things. We go into the schools and bring music. We have tons of free events um, during the course of those two weeks, so people can just come and listen to music. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just a way of getting people to hear, you know, experience classical music. You yeah. know, we've just opened the doors, so you can, you know, we'll have a great string quartet come in um, and play in the evening. But in the afternoon, you can go hear them for free. Just listen to a, just come and listen to a rehearsal, or or they can, they they might be doing a children's concert, and you can go hear them for free. And uh, that, that's a particularly exciting and, and rewarding part of the festival. Yeah, thank it's you just, so uh, much for doing that, you guys. Just reaching out to the community that way, you know. Um, let me just ask you about Goosebumps. Um, there's a study from the University of Southern California uh, indicating that if certain pieces of music give you goosebumps, you might have a special kind of brain with an enhanced ability to experience intense emotions, which I experienced, thankfully, while you were playing. I'm glad I have that special brain. <laughs> well, that, um, you know, a, That's interesting because we had a piece, our last commissioned piece um, was about goosebumps. That's what, that's what the piece was about. It was called Frisson, which is, I guess, French for goosebumps. And he actually, he actually studied what causes goosebumps in terms of music, you know, the things that in terms of dynamics or in terms of orchestration or in oh, terms harmony. of texture or harmony. He did a, a pretty intense study about what, what, what exactly might call it, what, what, what might cause this. And then he wrote us a piece using, using those, um, those uh, I guess, uh, techniques, you know. And I think he was pretty successful. It's a pretty powerful piece. But definitely, I think people are much more 
you know, susceptible to this than, than others. I'm definitely um, super susceptible. Yeah. I mean, you asked about music in our house, and yeah, the music in our house playing is usually us playing, because I find music so overwhelming to listen to, I can't really do anything else. And, and this goosebump sensation, I mean, is not exclusive to classical music. I mean, oh, I, no. I can yeah. think of millions of examples, but also, I mean, just like Barbara Streisand's voice or Queen or... I mean, Queen? <laughs> no, like Bohemian Rhapsody, like certain moments in there, yeah. I'm like, oh my God. And uh, Katie Lang singing Hallelujah. That's yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, you know, and going to the movies, I'm just, uh, any uh, manipulative music, I just, I'm just, oh yeah. God. I, I think it gets worse as you get older, too. Not worse. No, Maybe I've always better. been better. better. Yes, yeah. because you, you were talking about, you know, you're talking about how the music is in your fingers, yeah. you're talking about how it's in your. Spine anyway, yeah. <laughs> throughout your body, yeah. but you know it's a very powerful thing that the way we experience music is is coming. It's corporal. It's yeah. totally um, visceral. It's yeah. in our bodies. That's very powerful yeah. communication. Yeah, way of communicating. It is what yeah. it means to be human. Really, yeah. Yeah. Um, we you know we're talking about music that charges us emotionally. What about uh, holiday music? Christmas music. What we're going to get you to play something because this is our holiday, holiday. show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what what is the history of of that Christmas music or whatever you want to call it, holiday music? You know, uh, solstice music. What is yeah. it? Mm. And how far does it go back? And how does it work? Well, I, I, I have I have to confess that that we did it just because. Um, I guess more of it was the marketing, you know. <laughs> Do not say that on our show. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But, you know, holiday music and children's music is a great way to sell CDs because, um, <laughs> you well, you just do that. In terms of children's music, every four or five years, you have a whole new set of kids that you're, that you're promoting to. I mean, so a, a CD can last a long time is what I'm saying. And holiday music is a bit, is a bit the same way. Sort yeah, of. But, but holiday but, music but, has such an incredibly special place yes. in, in, inside yeah. ourselves. I mean, you know, yeah. I have so many great memories of singing Christmas carols as a kid. Well, that's why you know, it's so marketable. In our living people, room. And, people people and, react to it. I mean, it's nostalgic. Right. And I yeah. mean, that's why we sing the whole carols because it's, it's, I think as you get older, you think of Christmas and it's something you experienced in the past with family or there's a nostalgic element to it. And sometimes it's not, it's not incredibly happy. It can be a bit tinged yes. with sadness. Yes, yeah. So, and, so. And so this CD of ours, Cliff Crowley did, did, um, did all the arrangements and he incorporated that. Like it's not a jolly ho, ho, ho kind of CD. Well, there's this is what I, I was going to yeah. say, you know, like yeah. I think if you wanted to do something that was just mar marketable, right. you would play it the way it's always played. But right. you're taking time and rearranging right. these yeah. things and putting your own spin on it and right. making it new yeah. in, in, in the best ways that you can. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe we're not marketing pigs, but but no, I like artist people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that that was that was I have to admit that was that was the interest in it to see if we could do it, like see if we could actually do a Christmas. Well, it was CD, also but, the, I mean also yeah. trying to take choral music or vocal music and make it interesting as instrumental music. Like you don't have a text changing each each verse, so you know it, it re required a lot of yeah. expertise on Cliff's part to think of, yeah. you know, find really interesting ways to bring back different themes and, yeah. and like the one we're going to play for you is actually a canon version, isn't it? 
I think so. Yeah. <laughs> which means <laughs> which means that Tim starts the melody and then I come in with it but at a different time. So there's a counterpoint. So in a way you've never heard it done like that. So yeah. that's just a, a neat way. So he uses all different kinds of te compositional techniques too. But it is kind dark, like the harmonies are dark and- mm -hmm. It's not that dark. Well, not, but maybe not that one, but some of the other ones <laughs> yes, are pretty dark. Yes, the Bleak dark. Midwinter yeah. is, is very oh, uh, moody and, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. um, you know, uh, Nancy's music is here. For, I, I don't think people can see it, but it's got marks all over it, and things are circled, and things are, you know, I think, did you have strong arm? Yeah. Uh, so these are, like, these are the ways in which you're making the music your own, yeah. which I'm, you know, spying upon. <laughs> uh, maybe we could uh, hear that, that beautiful, marketable piece of music. <laughs> Ka-ching, ka-ching, yeah. Um, and I, I no, I, <laughs> I firmly believe that war is going on, that well, it's yes, a rich and, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. personal, yeah. as is. you said, yeah. personal response right. to these songs. Right. So um, thank you, thank and you. let's have it. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Um, you know, it occurs to me that uh, when um, uh, Jesus and Mary and Joseph showed up, they were really refugees. And uh, this, this kind of work changes when we look at the position we're in in the world um, today. Um, and so I, I really want to thank you. And uh, 
I do have goosebumps, and actually I cried. <laughs> so I think I had a, you know, a really uh, powerful response. So thank you so much, thank you. and thanks for being here. Um, everyone, this is our last State of the Arts for 2018. I want to say a special thank you to Steve Lilly and Pete Stanbridge for getting us the uh, keyboard here, um, you know, over from the School of Music. I, we were suddenly terrified we wouldn't have a piano, <laughs> and we got one because the people in the School of Music are so um, dedicated. Uh, thank you to everyone here at uh, um, CITL. Um, it's it's uh, so great to be able to have call on this expertise. Uh, it's so great to be, uh, you know, having cameras and um, fantastic sound. And uh, I want to say a special thank you to Janet Heron and um, Donna Downey and uh, Mark Shallow and just to everybody who is working on the show, which we feel so grateful for. And we'll be back in 2019 with a whole new exciting lineup of guests. Thanks for listening to State of the Arts. Visit us online at hss.mun.ca slash state of the arts for our latest videos and other enhanced content. All our videos can be found as a playlist on Memorial University's YouTube channel, and you can subscribe to our podcast by visiting Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, or the App Store. State of the Arts is supported by Memorial's Faculty of Humanities and Social Sciences and the Center for Innovation in Teaching and Learning. State of the Arts at Memorial Humanities and Social Sciences. Analysis whip smart and professorial smart people talking about what they know best. Listen to Lisa as she brings them all together and we try to figure out how to live together better with fat stacks of research found to impress. So let's talk about the faculty of HSS. Thank you.